This is a big year. The Ohio Lottery's golden anniversary. 50 years of excitement, of growing jackpots and crossed fingers. 50 years of funding for schools, of changed lives and brightened days. 50 years of fun. And that is worth celebrating. So watch for can't-miss promotions, huge events, and new games that will make the Ohio Lottery's 50th year its biggest one yet. Learn more at funturns50.com. Start clean with Clorox, because Clorox delivers a powerful clean every time. Because messes happen. Because... Hey, listen. Remember how you told me to toss those takeout containers before we left for vacation? And you were like, I'm serious. If that leaks over the counter, it'll be a slimy abomination by the time I get back. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. Don't worry about it. I won't forget. (laughs) Well. Ooh, yeah. That happens. So start clean with Clorox. Use Clorox products as directed. Rinse after use if in contact with food surface. This on? Hello? Hello? We're all science people. Science! Exactly. Evolution does some pretty funky things. There's chemistry in here. There's biology in here. The old question in science is how do you know that? Achievement equals skill times effort. That's the recipe for success. I'm about to show you something so cool it'll blow your mind. We can make the world better for everybody. Starting now. Welcome, welcome to Science Rules. I'm your host, Bill Nye. This is the show where science rules. It's a call-in show. If you want to be on the show, and I hope you do, please leave us a voicemail at 201-472-0785 or go to askbillnye.com. It's your homepage, askbillnye.com. You can also check me out on all the social media to find out about any of our upcoming guests. And today, once again, I am joined by science writer, editor, and really seriously, people, dear friend, Corey S. Powell. Greetings, Corey. Greetings. Greetings, Bill. So, Bill, here's something that you probably do not know about me. Is it something uh, I want to know about Well, you? it's something you're about to know, whether you want to or not. I never learned to swim as a child. Uh, I was a wow. sinker. My parents are like, oh, he's a sinker, whatever. And they kind of uh, stopped at that point. So... Finally, when I was going to become a dad, as an adult, I took swim classes. I bit the bullet. I learned to swim, not well, but barely acceptably. So I'm impressed with anybody who can just jump in the water and move easily, but especially with somebody who can jump in the water and tear through it like a sprinter. Yes, yes, yes. Tearing through it in the swim sprint today. Corey, you're a lucky guy. Our guest today is Simone Manuel, an Olympic swimmer. She won two gold medals, two silver medals at the 2016 Games in Rio de Janeiro. Simone Manuel, welcome to Science Rules. May I call you Simone? Yes, (laughs) it's perfect. So you are a swimmer from Texas? Yes. Uh, What, how did, were you discovered as a swimmer? What happens? Kinda. Uh, I feel like I've loved water my whole life. Um, Actually, when I was born, I was born with water in my lungs. So my parents like to say that I, I guess, loved water from the moment I was born. And bath time was my favorite. Being from Houston, Texas, also, it's very hot. And so my parents wanted... Yes. Yes. (laughs) So in the summers, my parents wanted my two older brothers and I to be able to go to the pools. 
and be able to swim safely. So they required all of us to take swim lessons. And I took swim lessons at the age of four and swam across the pool the second day of swim lessons. So you just had, you just took to it, literally. You're, you're, a, natural. Yeah. you're a natural. So then you went on, people must have noticed that you, you just had to figure out. So this is the expression freestyle. Mm-hmm. That's your event. Yeah. You know, when I, when I was a kid, that was called the crawl. Yes. <laughs> because it's a can I guess in a sense the way you move your knees and elbows is a little crawl like, I guess, but that term has fallen out of favor. Yes. And it's called freestyle, I guess, because that's the natural way you swim. I I actually am not sure why it's called freestyle. I do believe that most people learn how to swim breaststroke first. Um, or uh, it's the yeah. easier stroke to kind of learn how to swim. But except think, the kick with respect, the breaststroke kick when done properly is a pretty confusing little thing back there. Breaststroke in general, like timing is everything. I think as an elite swimmer, it's definitely something that takes a lot of technical practice. But when you're first learning how to swim, I, I notice that a lot of people tend to swim breaststroke because I know that with freestyle, it's really hard for people to breathe. People I was don't ask understand. You about that. Yeah. A lot of people so have trouble me, with that. Just more about me. I swim okay. I swim well. I okay. mean, I'm very confident in the water. I'm not a genius. But much later in life, I learned flip turns, and I learned to breathe on both sides. Mm. When you were a kid, did you breathe on both sides? I think so. Um, I'm not sure when I was four years old if I breathed to both sides. Usually when you're that young, you kind of like – look forward because you're looking for the wall, like how far have I gone? But um, as I developed in the sport of swimming, my coach required me to breathe to both sides. It kind of just was a balancing thing that she felt was really important. And so it's something that still to this day, I breathe to both sides. Well, I thought it was so you will keep an eye on the people in the other lanes. Is that a myth? <laughs> well, if you're fast, hopefully you're not uh, seeing them very well. Um, but Because they're behind you. You <laughs> burned them. <laughs> well, yeah. So at, at what point did you decide that you had that competitive spirit? When did that, when did that kick in? I think I've always had a competitive spirit just from growing up with two older brothers and being the only girl. I've always felt like I could keep up with them and they always encouraged me to keep up with them. So that kind of instilled my competitive drive in my life pretty early on. Um, but I definitely think in, in swimming or in sport, I've always just wanted to win. I don't think there was a really definitive age where I felt like, Oh yeah. Like now I want to win. <laughs> Over the years I've asked, I've done different shows about sports mm-hmm. And clearly, first of all, you have to, you swim all the way across the pool the second day. You got something in you that a lot of people don't have. Right. Okay, cool. But uh, some huge fraction of being successful is having that drive to win, but being mentally in the right frame of mind to do the event, right? As a sprinter, you've only got, what, 24 seconds and a little bit yeah. to win, right? Yeah. So, wh- so what was your very first competition? After four years old, I did swim lessons. I joined the summer league swim team at the age of five, and I was pretty good. I think I was racing with the ages above me. So I think I was race, racing with the six and up at that time and was winning Two events. Two years is a huge thing when you're four years old. Yeah, right? yeah. And I think that my success in the sport, especially when we talk about mentally as a sprinter, you have to be someone that is a perfectionist because your race is so short. And 
wins and losses are defined by fractions of seconds. So you have to make sure that you're doing everything as perfect as possible. And that can be really stressful at times, but I think that's kind of the beauty of it is that I haven't had a perfect race yet. And I hope I have one eventually by the time I end my career, but it really just allows for a lot of room for growth um, when you can always find things you can improve in. You have two gold medals, two silver medals. Uh, hold it. You have more than that. You, and two bronze medals. You have a lot of medals. Yeah. Got a lot of, there's a lot of metal going on. <laughs> and you haven't, you haven't swum a perfect race. Uh, what do you mean? I, I th- well, there's a lot of elements to a race. You have your start, you have your turn, you have your finish. You also have um, how you pace it. and How I can, you breathe. Yeah, yeah, how you breathe, that too. I don't know. I guess like I can't remember much of my Olympic race, to be honest. Uh, well, so here's <laughs> the thing. Let me ask you this. So over the years, I've done these other interviews. Mm-hmm. And all of these people, whether it's Hope Solo, the soccer goalie, yeah. uh, very successful, Edgar Martinez, if you it's a baseball thing in Seattle, he hit more doubles than anyone in American League history. Maurice Green, who was uh, the world's fastest human for a while, 100-meter sprint. I asked them all, what do you guys think about? And they universally said they think about nothing. They try to think about nothing. Is that true for you? Yes and no. I think that when I step up on the blocks, I always have these keywords to myself. Like before a 50 free, I kind of verbally talk about the race in my head. I'm like, okay, have a good start. Make sure you do this amount of dolphin kicks. When you get up, just like make sure your tempo is up. By get up, you mean when you, you're allowed to be submerged for a for few body lengths, 15 right? meters. 15 meters. Yeah. So it's so, almost like you're going through a mental checklist ahead of yeah, time. Yeah, yeah. Just like, but it's not in a means of like, I don't know what I'm doing because I agree that when you get to a competition, you don't really think because you've done it at practice millions and millions of times, or you've done it at competitions plenty of times before you get to that big moment. So to think about it just doesn't make sense because it's natural, but also at the same time, those cue words just like give me a little reassurance and, and, and help relax me before I go compete. So do you think this sort of preparation and mental discipline uh, gives you mental health advantages in the rest of your life? I think so. I, I think for me with swimming and life in general, what I'm most proud of is being able to hopefully at times separate the two. Swimming is an extremely important part of my life, but it also can be draining and stressful at times because it's something that I want to be very good at and want to continue to be very good at. But it's really important for me to not think about it all the time, not stress myself out. There's people in these seven other lanes, right? So who are trying to do the same thing. So something that impressed me, I went back to my alma mater, Cornell University, and I was invited to the 400 Club Breakfast. These are people who have a 4.0 academic average and a varsity medal. <laughs> and like, what? What? Who are you? What? And you were one of those people, right? Not a 4.0, I wish. <laughs> but, but you did pretty well, right? I did pretty well, yes. You went to a, you went to a fairly reputable college, yeah, I believe. Stanford's yes. okay. <laughs> yeah. Stanford, I've heard good things. But all this aside, they were being studied by professors, people who excel in both of these areas academically and athletically. 
have this discipline that you're talking about, where they set this aside to do this and they become more efficient at both different disparate things. Mm -hmm. Would you say that's what's going on? Absolutely. I think you have to compartmentalize. I think if I'm focusing on swimming while I'm doing schoolwork, I'm not going to be successful and then vice versa. I always want to put my energy into whatever I'm doing at that current time. And I think that really helps kind of excel at the two at the same time. I'm fascinated with this business of the perfect race. Okay. (laughs) So there's a lot of details, right? Mm -hmm. Your fingers, where you, okay, can we roll this? Can we roll this voicemail? I think this asks a kind of a cool question. Hi, my name is William and I'm a high school student and I also swim. This is one question that's puzzled me for a while. There's two different types of starts in swimming. One is for the individual events, you start in with one foot forward and one foot behind you to push off from the blocks. But the other one, which is the relay, you usually start with your feet together on the edge of the block. I'm wondering why, because even though I've done some tests myself, I can't tell what the difference between my time. So I'm wondering why this is. All right. Thanks and have a good day. So there are, are a lot of different relay starts. Some people do it with feet forward. Some people do a step forward. One foot forward, you mean? Yeah. Some people do it with two feet forward. Um, but I do it with, um, it's called a step over start. And so I do it with uh, one foot on the fin of the block and one foot behind the fin of the block. And as the other swimmer is coming in, I'll do my arm swing and the back foot behind the fin of the block will step over to the edge of the front of the block. And it's kind of like a running start, but it's just a step over. And that helps me gain momentum. Some people also do their relay start with two feet forward just because they feel more comfortable on balance and feel like they can jump off better. So I think that a lot of it is based off of what you're comfortable with. But I personally feel more comfortable doing the step over and gaining a little bit more power because it's kind of like a running start. So did you do trial and error with this? Like how, yes. did, you, how did you conclude what, what works best for you? Yeah. So the step over start just kind of started becoming popular in the swimming world because the swimming world also introduced uh, the fin on the back of the block for track starts. Originally, what's the blocks- the, What's the fin? Is that an angled block? Yeah. So originally the blocks for swimming used to just be your rectangle or your square. They that weren't- flat or was it tilted forward? It's tilted forward. Yeah. But yeah, now yeah. there is, I don't even, I guess you call it a fin, but it's kind of like a track start. You know how the track starters have like the elevated triangle. Right. Yeah. 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 So we now have the fin to kind of help you have a better start and better power because your feet aren't yeah. just like. Yeah. Makes yeah. perfect sense. Mm-hmm. Well, that's why track guys do it. Track exactly. Guys. So that has just kind of started. I think it came into the swimming world in 2010. I could be wrong. Yeah. yeah it was about 10 mm-hmm. years ago. Yeah, but yeah. ever since the wedge on the back of the block or the fin on the back of the block has come into the sport, then that has also changed the relay starts for individuals as well. And one more reason the times have gotten ever so slightly faster. Now, as you know, I'm a mechanical engineer 
And so I took fluid mechanics. Fluid mechanics is a big thing in mechanical engineering, probably dating from the days of steam engines, the flow of fluids. So mm -hmm. one of the things that fascinated me, a guy I went to college with, Steve Fuchikawa, is a heck of a swimmer. He explained that you got to have your fingers ever so slightly apart to create more hydrodynamic drag. Is that a true fact or a false fact? Yeah. So I'm someone that believes that relaxed swimming is fast swimming. So I would definitely have to agree. Although your fingers are a little bit of apart for the most part, they're still in some ways cupped because it's not like you're spreading them out to have all the water kind of pass through Go your fingers. Yeah. Right. So I'm someone where it's like, okay, I have my fingers relaxed, but they're still together. And so you're still gaining that power but also a lot of your power comes from your forearms and obviously obviously your hands and the pitch of your hand when it enters the water. But you're mm -hmm. still catching with all of your arm as it passes through the water. Stick around for more science rules after this. This is a big year. The Ohio Lottery's golden anniversary. 50 years of excitement, of growing jackpots and crossed fingers. 50 years of funding for schools, of changed lives and brightened days. 50 years of fun, and that is worth celebrating. So watch for can't-miss promotions, huge events, and new games that will make the Ohio Lottery's 50th year its biggest one yet. Learn more at funturns50.com. Save big money on everything. Now at Menards. Make quick work of your outdoor cleaning project with Masterforce Outdoor and Landscaping Tools. The 80-volt cordless trimmer is powerful, efficient, and hassle-free. So you spend less time working on your yard and more time enjoying the results. On sale now through May 19th. Check out our wide selection of Masterforce tools and see the rest of our deals on Menards.com. Save big money at Menards. Science Rules is back. Let me ask you some technical things. Mm -hmm. Your arm enters the water. Mm -hmm. You bring your arm under you or, when I was a kid, cup your hand and reach as deep into the water yeah. as you can go. That's, but that's, that's how I learned. Accurate. That's not accurate, is it? I would say yes and no. There are a lot of different ways to swim fast. That way that you swim is the straight arm freestyle, which is something that I don't typically do. This guy, Steve, a guy <laughs> I went to college with, said, no, no, no. And he showed me how to bring my forearm under my yeah. sort of like belly button. Yeah. So I'm someone where I enter in the water. You have to change the pitch of your hand. So immediately once my hand hits the water, I try to make it become perpendicular to the water. <laughs> Uh, so I just turn like, it so it's pushing yeah, backwards. I, yeah, turn it so it's pushing backwards and I'm pulling as much water as I can. And the reason why I want to change my pitch quickly is obviously so I can pull the most water. Um, and you, you enter the water, though, in an efficient way. You don't slap it, right? You got to right. karate chop it. Yes, yes. Well, as, as you're talking, I'm wondering are, how many of these techniques are distinctively your own or things that you adapted in the course of you know, working with your coaches to make – your own approach, your own style. Yeah, definitely some of it is a technique that kind of 
I guess we could say the science is it's the fastest. So that's what you should do. But also when you think about swimming or any other sport like basketball, each individual athlete has their own individual way of doing things. And so it's kind of like, I think I'm someone, so for instance, this doesn't really necessarily have to do with technique, but for a sprinter, my rate is usually pretty slow. Um, it's something that I'm working on, but as a sprinter- Your rate, you mean your strokes per minute? So, so my turnover. <laughs> so like second. Yeah. So typically for a hundred free, my rate is 1.25. Um, I don't know what other swimmers do, but I think it's usually around 1.15. So I'm a 10th slower. Is that right arm to right arm or right arm to left arm? So rate for freestyle or backstroke is after two strokes. So right arm and left arm, which is something that I want to improve in, but it's what works for me. And so you always have to find well, what's comfortable for you. And there must be books written about you're a tall mm-hmm. woman. And so your rate might be slower because your arms are longer mm-hmm. and you're pushing the same amount. Of, and we're talking slower. We're talking about 6% or something. Yeah, yeah. Way slower. Right. You're in Olympic training right now, yes, correct? Yes, yes. Uh, I imagine this pandemic thing that's been going on has uh, has messed up with that a little bit. How are you? How are you compensating or how are you training? So I didn't take off much time with swimming. I still do nine practices a week in the water and three practices in the weight room. Um, Stanford's open now with a lot of guidelines and we wear masks and we have to do temperature checks and fill out a questionnaire every morning. We obviously got COVID tested before we were able to come back on campus, but I've been doing nine practices a week this whole time. Didn't take off any time. Um, Jumped Are around. there other people in the pool with you, breathing chlorinated vapor, crazy, and so on? <laughs> so we're lucky enough to swim outside, so that's helpful for us. And so there's nine of us currently, and the rule is that you can only swim one person per lane. So we each have our own lane at practice, and then when we're on the pool deck, we stay six feet apart and wow. just trying to social distance as best as possible. We have a voicemail about something else that I find very interesting. Can we roll that voicemail? Hello, Bill. I was wondering why some professional Olympic swimmers uh, use those cup things on their muscles. Cupping. 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 Oh, cupping. Yes. Are you a cuppist? Ah, So I did cupping for a little bit when I had a hip injury. And then also um, I actually had a rib stress fracture, which caused tightness in my back. So I had to get my back cupped because of that. Okay. Okay. Hang on a second. So you were <laughs> swimming with such force. That no. You cracked a rib. Okay. This was a fist fight? What was no, this? So Something I, with your brothers, your older brothers? No, it's a long story. But in September of 2015, I became ill and was having trouble with my breathing. And essentially it took um, up until six months before Olympic trials to figure out that I had complete blockage in my right nostril. So during that time, I was getting constant sinus infections, was winded after sets that I usually would never get winded after. And because of me exacerbating for air in my right sinus, I developed a rib stress fracture from always breathing really hard after sets. So you've used it and you found it helpful? 
Yes. Um, it's something that I wouldn't want to do on the regular. It's not my favorite form of recovery. Let me, can you describe it for the listeners? Yeah. So essentially they put these cups on your back and a cup looks like a teacup, a coffee cup. Essentially. Yeah. Yeah. And they use this device to suck up your skin within the cup. And so your skin will be raised and the blood will flow to that portion. And usually they put it over a knot or a trigger point and they'll put the cups on for 10 minutes or so. And it usually will release the knot or it will help them to release the knot manually. But also they can slide the cups on your body and that's not fun, but the purpose is still the same. Why do you say you wouldn't do it again if you didn't have to? Uh, it can be painful. It hurts. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, so, just, it's not fun. So overall, how much pain do you go through as a professional athlete? You know, the other sport that fascinates me is bicycling because I mm-hmm. grew up just riding my bike all over the place. It freed me as a teenager. I could get out of the house and do all these fabulous things where in bike racing, the big thing is how much you can handle the pain. Like when you're just breathing where you're going to die, mm-hmm. how much of that can you take? Mm-hmm. How much pain is involved in your at swimming at this high level? Uh, a lot. <laughs> <laughs> so why do you do it? You know, I, it's just, I think it's a part of what makes me love the sport is being able to push my body to its limits. I think of like really hard sets where you're in the middle of the set, you've been churning the water and going as fast as you can. You get to the wall, you have 30 seconds to catch your breath, and then you have to push off and go fast again. It's just kind of like this adrenaline rush, even though you feel that pain while you're swimming, it really is satisfying to kind of push your body past its limits so that you can continue to improve. Well, to that point, I mean, you've been, you've been doing this for quite a few years and you talked about, you know, that you've, you've never gotten to perfect. Um, presumably you never get to perfect. Nobody ever gets mm-hmm. to perfect, but right. how has your training changed or how has your technique changed over the years? You know, I mean, there's so many things to play with the materials of the suit, the actual techniques that you use. I want to ask curious, about the how suit. Have, I want to hear yeah, about the have, suit. Okay. How have things changed for you over the years and to kind of like give you a little more performance edge? Everything. I think the older I get, the better I want to eat, the better I want to sleep, I think, uh, or the better I want to recover. Obviously, you have this digital age where you can use video to kind of see what you need to improve on technically. I've wanted to improve my power off of getting off the blocks. So then that changes my weight training. And so I think a lot of it changes as you grow through the sport. And the older I get, the more I develop, the stronger I get, the different things that are going to come at me. And so I'm doing different things in the weight room. Um, Over the past couple of years, I've really tried to develop my 200 freestyle, which is on the longer end of the spectrum for me, but developing that has helped improve my 100 free. And I think the older I get, I don't know if my coach is going to be happy hearing this, but I'll probably move away from the freestyle and focus a lot of my time and energy on sprinting more than anything. And so I think that as you can continue to develop in the sport, a lot of other things kind of follow suit in the changes that you need to make. So let me ask you this. The heart, I mean, it's generally agreed in running in track and field. 
the 440 or the 400 meters is like the hardest in this weird way. Mm-hmm. It's an extended dance mix of a sprint. Mm-hmm. The 200 in swimming might be analogous to the 400 in I definitely think the 200 is one of the hardest races in any stroke simply because it's a sprint, but also it's distance-based. So you can't go out too fast um, or you'll die. And you can't go out too slow because then you won't have any momentum to bring it back or you'll be out of the race. So I really you, you get, you lose, you'll fall yeah, behind. Yeah, it's yeah. a fine line between speed and endurance. And that can typically be hard for athletes. How much breath control do you do? So every time I do 50 work, it has to be done. No breath because uh, so explain to, you know, the, the ignorant uh, okay. radio host, <laughs> what uh, 50 works and 50 work. Yes. Is that 50 meters? You yes. don't breathe for 50 meters? I would freaking die. Oh, well, well, that's 50 for my... 50 meters is from here to the moon. My goodness. All right, go ahead. Yeah, go yeah ahead. So, so for my race, yeah, it's 50 meters and I don't breathe. But for practice, I don't always do like a 50 meter sprint. So sometimes it'll be like, I'll do repeats of 25s fast, no breath, or 35s fast, no breath. But even... So- do you have a pool that's only 25 meters long? No, I just stop in the middle of the 50-meter pool. Stop in the, oh, you're allowed to do that. Oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> for practice. Were you ever interested in becoming an astronaut? Because it sounds like a lot of what you're describing would be really good for astronaut training, too. Oh, definitely don't want to be in space, but <laughs> I like it here. So go ahead. So you do a lot of breath training. So, yeah. So for 50 work, I do no breath training, but also when I'm not doing 50 work, sometimes for sets my coach will tell me to do hypoxic work. And so that can be a 300 pull where I'll breathe every seven strokes uh, or every nine strokes, or sometimes he'll have me do a 50 free where I only breathe four times and then have to do a 50 fast. So you kind of like emulated uh, no breath work and then have to do something hard. It's pretty hard because you've already kind of lost some oxygen from the 50 breathing only four breaths. Science Rules will be right back. This is a big year. The Ohio Lottery's golden anniversary. 50 years of excitement, of growing jackpots and crossed fingers. 50 years of funding for schools, of changed lives and brightened days. 50 years of fun, and that is worth celebrating. So watch for can't-miss promotions, huge events, and new games that will make the Ohio Lottery's 50th year its biggest one yet. Learn more at funturns50.com. You're listening to Science Rules. I've heard you talk before about your hair. Mm-hmm. My mom, when I was growing up, always would just remind me, especially in the Black community, hair is extremely important to us. She would always remind me it's just hair. I think she knew that at a young age that I probably was going to be successful in the sport. And as a swimmer, whatever race you are, when you're in the water, chlorine is not nice to your hair. And right. so... It's just something that you deal with. You put the swim cap on, water still gets in it, of course. And then after you get out the water, you do everything you can to keep it as healthy as possible. And you put all kinds of product. The, yeah, the, it's the just a way. People of, love product. Yeah, it just becomes natural. It's a way so, of life for us. 
You know, you touched on a very important thing. And when I was a kid, you just very, very seldom saw black kids mm -hmm. swimming. So did you, in Houston, I imagine you maybe ran across some issues. Yeah. Uh, how hard was all that? It was pretty difficult. Uh, it's still difficult to this day, but I've had a lot of encouragement from my parents. Um, I've had very supportive coaches. I well, winning gold medals probably <laughs> helps them get their head in yeah. the game. Yeah. Um, seeked a lot of help from my sports psychologist that I still work with to, to this day. Um, but I'm also someone that likes to think of things in a different perspective. So even though I faced some negativity or some racism, I've tried to always change my way of thinking so that I can continue to focus on my goals. You mean you, to the extent possible, you ignored it. Is that what you're saying? To the extent possible. Um, I've come home from practice some days crying. I've like picked up the phone and called my mom like, hey, this happened today. This is not okay. I think a lot of it for me has been communication and just dealing with that emotion right when I feel it. So what's happened? What's mm -hmm. an event that's happened? Well, so I have a couple. I think um, when I was six years old at swim practice, I was on the playground. I used to play with this kid every day after practice, waiting for our older siblings to finish their practice after us. And one day on the playground, he told me he didn't want to play with me and that he hated me because I was black. His parents must have coached him in this regard. Obviously. <laughs> Obviously. I'm an ambassador for the USA Swimming Foundation and the um, foundation and the ambassadors work to provide swim lessons to children in minority communities. And so I've been able to go to the Boys and Girls Club and the YMCAs in specific areas and speak to the kids about the importance of water safety, but also get in the water with them. So you're actually, you're out there giving swim lessons? Yeah. So, I mean. Because they, they must be pretty thrilled by that. I, mean, I, <laughs> I would say. imagine the, re the response has got to be pretty gratifying. Yeah, it's, it's, it's gratifying for me as well. I mean, to talk about my experience, but also get into the water with these children who are afraid from the beginning. They're, they're afraid to get in. They don't want to jump in. They don't even want to put their face in. And so are they afraid because they're taught to be afraid? Because I'll tell you when I, just for me growing up, you know, a middle-class guy in DC, I don't know. My mother insisted that everybody learn to swim mm -hmm. and it was just something you, and you look forward to it. You know, mm -hmm. you know what I'm saying? Washington yeah. DC is like Houston. It's 99 degrees Fahrenheit, 99% humidity. Get me in the freaking pool, man. Yeah. <laughs> this sucks. And so uh, I would look forward to I still do look forward to it. Yeah. But these kids must be taught to be afraid of it. Is that true? I, I think it's a little bit of both. I I know kids that are just afraid because you look at a pool and you look at all the water in it and, and it's it is, yeah, it's a daunting <laughs> place. And kids yeah. always ask that question. They're like, how deep is it? And I'm like, the depth has nothing to do with like, if you can swim in this water or not. But also, at the same time, I do think at times it is something that's taught, especially within the Black community. I think it's a generational fear that inherently families pass on to their children. So a guy I know pretty well is a very good surfer, mm -hmm. and he is this Jewish kid. He and the Black surfers were not allowed to on certain parts of the the really desirable parts of certain beaches. Mm -hmm. So he took me to see a movie called Whitewash. Okay. About black surfers. By the account of 
the historians that are interviewed as part of it's a documentary mm-hmm. as part of this movie. They say that Ghanans, uh, West Africans, started out as robust swimmers and fishermen, mm-hmm. fisher people. Mm-hmm. And then when the slave ship started showing up 400 years ago, they quit it. Mm-hmm. Is it possible that that, like, don't go in the water thing has been passed across the freaking ocean over four centuries? Absolutely. Absolutely. Really? Yes. So you know the story. Can you uh, f- I do. fill it in? Yeah. yeah. Well, so I know that story because um, when I was 12 years old, I was dealing with a lot of what I felt was racism. And also just that was when I really knew I wanted to devote my life, I guess, in some ways to swimming. But I didn't see that many black swimmers in the area of Houston. I saw a couple. That in itself must have been kind of intimidating, just that you don't see many people who look like you doing what you're doing. Yeah, I was looking around and I was like, okay, can we be good at this? Like, is this something I should do? And then I have a pretty athletic build. And so, you know, you're walking around at the mall. Someone's like- You're like like 5'11 or something. You're like a tall person. Yeah. Yeah. So you're walking around at the mall and people are like, what sport do you do? You don't do basketball? And, And I'm like, I'm swim. And they would question me like, there's no way that you could be a swimmer. And I knew where those reactions were coming from. And so I started to kind of get weighed down by those conversations or, or those feelings. And so one day I came home from practice and I asked my parents, why aren't there many people in the sport that look like me? Like, why don't I see many black swimmers? And my parents at the time didn't know the answer as well. I mean, I, they knew what was going on, but also it wasn't something that they researched. And so we sat down at the computer that night and we researched the history of black swimmers in America. And we found the story of West Africans being very great swimmers. They would go diving for pearls and fish in the sea. Fish, yeah. yeah. Fish. And, protein, protein, protein. And, yeah. and that's where a lot of the slaves, enslaved people got captured in the water. And then mm-hmm. just to think about the journey of being on a very crowded ship on water, enslaved people would try to jump off the ship or um, when they tried to escape, they would swim in lakes. And obviously slave owners would try to tell them that there were monsters in the water or they would kill them Mm -hmm. or drown them. And so a lot of that sadness around swimming and in the water, I think is something that has inherently been passed down as well as you think about the Jim Crow laws and how African-Americans, Black people were not able to be in pools and spaces that they should have been a part of. Um, Draining a pool because someone dips their toe in, throwing acid on Black people because they're swimming in a pool. I think that all of those experiences are horrific and they definitely contribute to the fear of getting in the water. Right. Now, you talked earlier about psychological training, you know, not just preparing for the sport, but also sort of getting past some of those, some of those issues and some of those pressures. Mm-hmm. How does the sort of the psychological training fit in with the physical training? Does this sort of all go hand in hand for you? Absolutely. I think that if I'm not taking care of my mental health, there's no way that I'm going to succeed physically. Like if I'm sad or I'm down, that mentality can affect my practices. It can affect affect my eating. It can cause me to have anxiety at times. And so I always try to have a positive attitude and kind of get rid of those negative thoughts so that I can swim well. 
you don't want to be overconfident either. You no. Know, ignore the details. So Michael Phelps talks about depression. Mm-hmm. Is this a feature of being an elite athlete? Like if you don't have that perfect race, it just weighs on, bugs you? I think it's different for each athlete. I do think high achieving athletes, elite athletes do face some of the same mental challenges. I think one of the biggest ones for me is obviously my place in a minority sport and being successful and at the top of a minority sport. But I think beyond that, it's just, the pressure that I put on myself, but also the pressure that other people put on me to perform. So when you fail or you don't, you know, succeed in the way that you would like to, there is this feeling of not only letting yourself down or your coach down, but also other people down because they had this expectation of you that you should win. Or I think just beyond that, it's kind of, for me, I think in this digital and media age, People can be so mean. Corey, 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 did you hear that? Yes. You know what I think? I think everybody needs to get out of the pool right now. We've got to get out of the pool I hear because thunder, there's a, a thunderstorm thunder is approaching. Yes. Lightning means lightning round. Simone Manuel, when was the last time you wore a personal flotation, a PFD, a life jacket? When was the last time you wore a life jacket? Uh, probably before I started swim lessons. So four, three-ish. <laughs> 19 years ago, something yeah. like that. Yeah. My mom always tells me the story that she put a life jacket on me when we were at a pool party for a family friend. And I told her, I don't want to wear it. I can swim. And she told me, well, you're going to wear it. So I believe this was before I actually learned how to swim, but I could be wrong. Is it true you shouldn't go swimming for one hour after you eat? Eh, maybe. Depending. I think depending on how much you eat. No, you guys, that's a rule for grownups, okay? (laughs) I figured this out late in life as Uncle Bill. You tell the kids that so that you, watching the kids in the pool or watching the kids in the ocean, you don't have to concentrate as hard. You get a little time to yourself. (laughs) Because they can't hold out an hour. They want to jump around. So exactly. Yeah, that, that break it's to grab a burger and beer is very nice. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so if you could compete in any other sport, what, what would it be if you think? Track. Track and field, mm-hmm. running around. Is there something uh, people get wrong about swimming? Is there a misconception? The, I think the biggest misconception about swimming is that we only swim. And swimmers do dry land training and you mean weight training, weight training. Yeah. I call it dry lands, dry lands, <laughs> wet swimming. So, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it, do you, do you run? What do you guys do? Do you pogo stick? What, what is some that? swimmers run. That would not be me. Um, but a lot of my weight training is, is similar to a track sprinters weight training. How warm is an Olympic swimming pool? Typically 78 degrees. So, you know, one of the things that we like to ask everybody, if you were in charge, if you were queen of the forest, as you might be in the Wizard of Oz, if you were queen of the forest, is there something you want everybody to know about swimming or some things you want everybody to know about swimming? It is a life-saving skill. Once you learn how to swim, you won't ever forget it. It's like riding a bike. Simone, what do you think the future is of black people swimming? I think it's really bright. I think that obviously there is room for improvement. But you see some of the cultural barriers coming down? 
Yes. I think one of the silver linings of this time with this racial reckoning is really giving people information, explaining the history and making them aware that especially Black individuals, you can swim and also helping other people understand that Black people can swim. Because hearing people say that Black people can't swim because they're going to drown because of their muscles, like people actually believe that. And I think that breaking that stereotype and showing that there is representation in this sport that typically is seen as a sport that Black people can't be successful in is really important. And so I hope I'm doing that. I'm continuing to do that with working with USA Swimming Foundation. Also, I'm working with LeBron James I Promise School to bring swimming into those communities and also into the school system. And just continuing to hopefully use my platform to make swimming accessible for everyone, I think is going to hopefully diversify the sport of swimming and make it a space for everyone. And not just the space, but make everyone safer. Yes. It's so empowering, as you mentioned earlier, when you learn to swim, wow, okay, I can I can control this part of the environment too. Do you think about what your career might look like after the Olympics? Like what, what comes next for you? Yes and no. I'm someone that always tries to live in the moment. And um, especially when you're thinking about winning Olympic medals, you can't get too far down your timeline of what you want to accomplish. Um, But I definitely want to continue to be an inspiration to others. I definitely want to continue to advocate for all people and equal opportunity. And I don't think that's going to change in my swimming career because it's something that I'm doing now. And I think that down the line, Whatever I do will still be devoted to those things because it's really important to me and it's something that I'm extremely passionate about. You guys, this has just been cool. Yes, I This has just it. been cool. Thank you for joining us today. Our guest today has been Olympic swimmer, gold medalist, silver medalist, bronze medalist, Simone Manuel, and you are training for the 2021 Games. Thank you so much, Simone. Now you go out there and get them. Thank you. Go out there and win these things. So remember, when it comes to improving your times and improving your diversity in the pool, science science rules. rules. (laughs) And if you like science rules, and of course I hope you do, please take a moment to rate and review it in Apple Podcasts and on Stitcher. It helps us out and helps other people learn about the show. So thank you. Be sure to check out my socials for more information about our upcoming guests. I'm at Bill Nye on all those things. And meanwhile, if you'd like to leave us a voicemail, give us a call at 201-472-0785 or submit a question on the electric internet machines at askbillnye.com, askbillnye.com. Science Rules is produced by Harry Huggins and our very own Corey S. Powell. Casey Halford mixed this episode and composed our original theme. Josephine Martirana is our executive producer. And at Stitcher, everyone, science rules. Stitcher. This is a big year. The Ohio Lottery's golden anniversary. 50 years of excitement, of growing jackpots and crossed fingers. 50 years of funding for schools, of changed lives and brightened days. 50 years of fun. And that is worth celebrating. 
So watch for can't-miss promotions, huge events, and new games that will make the Ohio Lottery's 50th year its biggest one yet. Learn more at funturns50.com.